Hey, hey, welcome on in. It's your boy, Ken Valdez, coming at you from my soul renegade sound studio here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I am welcoming you to the Ken Valdez Approach. I took a little hiatus from this thing, man, but I am back. Bigger, badder, better, stronger than ever, like a phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> and this time it's with syndication. Yeah, man, made some moves on the offseason. I just want to thank some uh, just big thank yous going out to all the stations that picked this show up. I'm so grateful for you. And for those of you that may not be aware or know anything about this show, I'll just fill you in very briefly. Uh, I try to make it interesting, try to bring you people that I believe that you should know. A lot of the time, it's going to be people in the music business, artists that I believe that you should hear, artists that have tremendous stories, inspiring stories, and I'll tell you what, this week is no exception. My first show back, I have my buddy Lance Lopez. For those of you that don't know who Lance is, this guy is a guitar virtuoso. This guy is is phenomenal. He is a... Uh, He's known as essentially a blues rock just titan, if you will. This guy has had such an interesting career. We're going to be talking all about that. We're going to be talking about his influences. We're going to be talking about how he came to the music business. We're going to be talking about all of this. And he's got an inspiring story, man. We're going to be talking about some of the demons that he's faced along the way and why he's living in Nashville. So without further ado... My first show back, I want to welcome you to the Ken Valdez Approach and my interview with Mr. Lance Lopez. Check it out. Hey, Ken, thanks for having me on the show, brother, man. So good to see you again, man. How's it happening? Yeah, man, things are good, dude. Looks like uh, life is treating you uh, all right, man. Man, it's pretty good today, man. It is pretty good today, man. You know, it's um, I'm really grateful that... Uh, you know, the world seems to be kind of smoothing out, uh, you know. Is it now? Is it? <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's another, you know. But oh, but I'm okay. You know, that's 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 one of the main things about it, man. You know, life is good. Sobriety is good. Good, man. Music is good. So, yeah, man, what more could you ask for? Yeah, we're certainly going to get into that, you know, because that's, that's definitely a part of your story, man. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so we'll definitely be talking about that. I guess we're just going to jump right on in, man. So you have done so much in your career, right? You came up uh, out of, out of is it Shreveport or is it out of Dallas? Well, I was born in Shreveport. Um, okay. I was born in Shreveport um, and moved to Dallas when I was 12. Oh, wow, man. So, so what what was it that did it? Like, what was it that, that got, that gave you that bug, that musical kind of thing? Oh man, I mean, I you know, growing up, Shreveport, being a kid in Shreveport, like every kid literally played guitar. Right. Um, everybody like in in Shreveport, Louisiana, was a guitar player. We had uh, you know Kenny Wayne Shepherd, number one. Right. You know, and his father was very instrumental in bringing all the bands to Shreveport and playing all the bands on on the radio. You know, so. Um, you know, and Eddie Van Halen, uh, his wife, Valerie Bertinelli was also from Shreveport. Oh, I didn't and, know that. And, and, and their lake home actually is, it's an interesting story because Kenny Wayne Shepard's dad was the one that introduced them. So their, their lake home was a mile from my house. So we'd ride oh. our bikes over and see Ed Van Halen standing out in the yard, you know, and, and so every kid in the neighborhood played guitar. Uh, you know, in, in the eighties, you know, that's what, that's what we did. So, um, the first thing, the thing that did it though, man, was, was, was Elvis Presley, you know, seeing Elvis, wow. uh, seeing him on TV was, was, uh, my dad had a, had an old Betamax tape, Sure. you know, and I was like a toddler man. And he put, he put a Betamax video of Elvis on and, and sitting next to the TV was a framed picture of Elvis and my dad together. Oh, you wow. know, and so I'm just like going, OK, that dude and there's the picture and there's my dad. So I was like, you know, putting putting two and two together and just not knowing who you know that was. I just knew I saw them sitting in the round playing guitars and just that intensity and that power that that Elvis had. And I went, man, that's I want to do that. I want to play guitar. Uh, I want one of those things they're they're playing. And uh, yeah, and then my dad just supported it, man. And then, like I said, then in that era, in our town, in our community, 
all the kids played guitar, you know, and we had access to great music uh, growing up um, at, at, at the uh, Coliseum and in, in the Hirsch Coliseum in Shreveport, where we where we were kids in the 80s. Every weekend you had all the great bands in the 80s play. So all the kids would go. Um, and, and, you know, we, we didn't really have we didn't really have guitar lessons. We had like uh, we did. There was a few guys in town that taught. But what we what we did is we all each bought a ticket to the show. We went to the concert. We watched whatever guitar player it, it was, you know, uh, and then we went home and we got together the next day or the next Sunday morning or Saturday morning or, you know, whatever that was. And we'd all get together and try to swap ideas. And I saw him doing this. No, man, I saw him doing that, you know, <laughs> and that's how we learned how to play guitar aside from, you know, playing the records. Right, right. Um, but, you know, early on, it was early rock and roll, man. It was my dad, you know, just really force-feeding me, spoon-feeding me, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Little Richard, uh, Fats Domino, Ray Charles, you know, all the real rock and roll Absolutely. stuff, man. Yes. And that's, you know, that's, that's, and that's, I started picking up on the grooves of like, you know, like Little Richard when they would just go into those rock and roll grooves and the sax solos and just that. And then ACDC started to make sense to me. You know, right. I, would list, I would listen to that and go, oh, wow, okay. And then I, I see where it's it's starting to make sense. And so, um, you know, and then growing up in that era of, of just of, of in the 80s with that rock music, man, it just was the era of guitar players. Man. Absolutely. So, yes. you know. Yes. So when you were growing up and you're saying that everybody was was a guitar player out in uh, in your place, like in, in Shreveport, I guess. Yeah. So with that said, I mean, you kind of excelled, man. You're you're looked at as, as, you know, a bit of a virtuoso, if you will. Are there others that, you know, that you played with back in those days that, that followed in, in, you know, your footsteps or, or that you jammed with or whatever, and they're still playing to this day? Not necessarily yeah. to the notoriety that you've achieved, but, I mean, you know, are they still are they still grinding? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, one one in particular, I mean, of our in Shreveport was, I mean, of course, again, Kenny Wayne Shepard. Right. Uh, but there was a whole slew of guys that played um, that are great guitar players and musicians, period, that grew, we grew up with. There's a keyboard player here in town named Jimmy Wallace that was kind of part of that. Absolutely. Plays with Joe, it plays with Joe Walsh now. He was kind of part of that community. Uh, of course, you know, Wes Jeans is still over there doing it. East yep. Texas. Um, you know, there's, there's so many guys, Jason Cofield's another Shreveport guy, David Deaton. I mean, there's a lot of those guys, you know, early on I left though. I left at 12 years old. Right. And was kind of going back and forth during my teenage years and went to Dallas. So when I left, uh, those guys kind of continued on. And of course, um, you know, uh, Kenny Wayne kind of went on to, to, to become, you know, super, super successful. And, um, you know, and all of us all kind of guys either joined the military or got jobs, had families. Right. And there was a very few of us that, that became lifers with it, you know. Um, and some of the guys I stay in touch with that are that are still there, they, they still play, but they, you know, they, they ended up with other careers and doing other things. So uh, but there was a big community of guitar players that were in great musicians. Again, like, you know, I just recently reconnected with Jimmy Wallace here in Nashville. That's you know, uh, so guys like that, you know, that that there were other great musicians, not just guitar players that came out of our community. And then I, you know, I went to Texas early on and and and, and became a part of a whole nother school of, of guitar players and 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 a whole community that I didn't even know existed kind of really until I landed there because my mom, my mom moved us to Texas. Sure. You know, and that's just how it ended up, you know, uh, um, so I just I wound up in the middle of this like super powerhouse school of guitar playing. Absolutely, yeah. Texas is just synonymous with that. Yeah. So you were growing up. Did you have any any favorite players? I mean, you know, um, early on, you know, I I saw I saw there were two bands I saw the most of growing up, and that was ACDC and Rush. You wow. Know, I, I saw them more times in the 1980s than any other band. Uh, Van Halen also, I, I was at the very first show Sammy Hagar ever did with Van Halen. Oh, um, he, they, they debuted that in Shreveport, by the way. Um, uh, but, you know, I saw Rush and, and ACDC a lot. And Angus Young, I understood because, again, 
you know, my dad started me on Chuck Berry. Right. So I, w- I would go watch Angus Young and go, I understand what he's doing and not really knowing that he was playing blues. Right. You know, and not understanding that he was playing Chuck Berry and he was playing, you know, real rock and roll. I didn't understand that that's what was happening. And, and you know, but I could re- I could understand the music. I could I didn't you know, I wasn't to a point in my musical uh, uh, education to be able to dissect and pinpoint what was what. But I knew that, wow, this is resonating with me in some sort of way. Um, so that's, that's, you know, ACDC spoke to me and I, and I was privileged enough to see them many times live, you know? Um, so it wasn't until we moved to Texas that my life was completely, completely changed, uh, forever. And that was, um, you know, it was funny because in, in, during that period of time, it was the era of the shredder Mm -hmm. and everyone was shredding and, and I would get together with these group of friends and I would play. And, and because of the stylings, like we're talking about, people would go, man, you play really bluesy. You know, you, you play very bluesy and it, like, like it wasn't a good thing. Like, it's really bluesy, man. And, uh, and I would go, well, this is just how I'm naturally playing guitar and from what I'm listening to. And so um, I came home and told my dad, I said, man, I'm, you know, they're, they're telling me that I'm playing bluesy. And he turned me on to B.B. King and he actually had a photograph with B.B. King as well. He had done security <laughs> for B.B. King. Right and on. he said, here's the greatest blues singer in the world. And he, and he turned me on to B.B. King. So when we moved to Dallas, immediately when we moved there, I saw in the newspaper that B.B. King was coming to play in concert. And so I went, oh, my God. I told my mom, I said, and I was, I'm 12 years old, little kid. You know, I'm like, right. mom, can you can I go see B.B. King? And uh, she was like, sure. You know, I just moved to Dallas and was exploring. I mean, it was complete culture shock, you know, big concrete city and millions of people. And, you know, I'd come from this little town in northwest Louisiana, you know. And um, so we uh, my mom took me to see B.B. King. And when we got to the concert, all these people were walking around like everybody. And they all have these T-shirts that say SRV. You know, and oh, I went, man. Sure. and I went, I went, dude, like, what is everybody's got that? I was like, like mad about it. Cause I went, <laughs> what the hell is SRV, man? Right. Like everybody in the, in the whole show has this SRV t-shirt on. What is SRV? And, um, and BB King came out and played early, like first. And it was like, what? And then the, the DJ radio DJ chick came out and she was like, because it's his hometown show, we're going to let Stevie Ray Vaughan headline tonight. And I was like, who? And then Stevie Ray Vaughan came out. And, like, I had – and, you know, the good thing about it was I'm so glad I didn't know who he was or anything about it until I was standing 10 feet in front of him. Wow. Like, having this complete life-changing moment. Right. I mean, you know, it was like – it was completely life-changing. Um, you know, he just was like glowing like a ball of white light. I mean, I, I it, it was just like it was a religious experience. I mean, to see Stevie Ray Vaughan like that, so it, it was incredible. And and sadly, he was gone a couple of months later. Oh you man, know? Right. he was gone a couple of months later. And so, you know, I would talk to guys. My mom would take me to the guitar shops. You know, and I knew right then and there the blues is what I need to be playing. And so my mom would take me to guitar shops in Dallas and then guys were telling me, Hey, well, if you want to, I would, all I was talking about was seeing this guy, Steve Ray Vaughn. And so they would say, well, you need to go over to Charlie's guitar shop. That's where he hangs out at. So my mom would take me to Charlie's and I was waiting for Stevie Ray to come home. Like I would go over there and pester Mark Pollock and all those guys all day. And, and all I do was talk about Jimi Hendrix. I was a huge Hendrix guy. And so they were like, Stevie's going to love this kid. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, and then, and then tragedy, man. So it was, a, it was a really bad tragedy. You yeah. Know? Oh like, God. Freaking horrific. Still to this day, you know, it's horrific. Yeah. yeah oh it was, God. it was very, very tragic. You know, and I'm sure that you, you know this and especially being, you know, out there, but uh, he's one of those guys, right? He's one of those guys where if you talk to anybody that knew him, more often than not, and I mean, it is so rare that you hear anything bad about that guy. Everybody said that he was just the coolest, he was the nicest, he was just the sweetest guy, you know. That in and of itself goes a long way with me, you know, where, like, you have the power, the the the, the legend, the, you know, what have you. But then he's just a, he's just a good dude, you know. And that's right. one of those things where, man, I love that about, you know, a guy I consider to be a hero, 
right? That he's he's one of the good ones. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's definitely a tragedy. But I'll tell you, man. So you are coming of age here, and how did you get? This is awesome because you know you're you're talking about your 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 development. You know, Shreveport to Dallas, you're hanging out, and you're seeing Stevie Ray, and you know you're doing this, that, and the other. And here it is. 18 years old and you're with Lucky Peterson. How did that happen, man? Oh, man. Um, well, you know, I had, we had, I'd moved with my dad down to Florida briefly. We had, we actually moved from New Orleans to Florida. I'd, I'd moved, I'd spent a couple years in Dallas and moved with my dad to New Orleans and then we moved to Florida. And when we were in Florida, Lucky's band came through and played a, a, a blues club. And so I saw Lucky in Florida as a kid in the, in the early 90s when his Beyond Cool album came out and completely floored me yeah like lucky peterson i was like i saw him in a little club called gators in port charlotte florida that i used to play at Derek trucks used to play at josh smith used to play there yeah, uh lucky came through dan toller chris anderson les dudek all these great it was a great little room so lucky came through town and he was stuffed in this little club with a horn section and these guys <laughs> and it was like what what happened so when we moved it back to we moved back to dallas and I actually went on the road first with Johnny Taylor, soul singer. And while I was out there, um, I, uh, Lucky's guitar player um, got the offer to go play with Sheila E. Oh, my gosh. So I'm going to yeah. stop you just for a yeah. second because I didn't know this. Yeah. So you played with Johnny Taylor before you played with, with, with Lucky. Yeah. I didn't know that, man. And yeah. that's amazing because Johnny Taylor is, is yeah amazing soul singer how i mean yeah like if you can't so, bridge that you know, so bridge all, that for me. all of it all of it does bridge together so there was a club in south dallas called booker's arandis and it was uh you know it was the real deal you know blues and jazz and all the heavyweight cats played there and hung out there and lucky peterson had a gig there and so i was talking to his horn his trumpet player bony fields invited me out to um to their gig and uh you know he said come on out man just come hang out with us and i went and lucky got me up so lucky pulled me on stage like at the end of the night and i got up and just ripped you know they were playing some shuffle and i don't i don't just i got up and just played everything i knew you know (laughs) it's like "Ah!" yeah Yeah. (laughs) like like everything i had and and then as soon as i took one step off the stage butch bonner guitar player and, and and producer he just he boom he was right here going hey man can you be in atlanta in two days you know, i was like <laughs> i don't know man let me ask my dad nice <laughs> nice so i was 17 then i mean I was, oh my god i, I right. was a 17 year old kid when that happened and so man three days later i was on a tour bus i went to jump my dad took me to johnny taylor's office and i sat in that office and uh they gave me like 36 songs to learn in 11 hours. And there oh was, you know, back in those days, it was a cassette Walkman. Right. And that was it, you know. So I sat on the tour bus and I had my little Stratocaster and my little orange foam Walkman headphones. <laughs> and, and I put the Strat, the, the the top bow of the Strat on the headphone and sat and just learned the, learned the songs like wow. that. Wow. Okay. On, on the tour bus for, on a drive from Dallas to Atlanta. Oh my gosh, man! And, and yeah, it was uh, it was quite the the musical education. So I, you know, after that, um, you know, I've been out with Johnny Taylor and was um, briefly uh, off that tour. And Lucky called me. Great. And and uh, Todd Parsno had gotten the, had gotten a call to go out. He was playing guitar with uh, Lucky at that time and. And so he got the call. Uh, he got a couple offers. I think he was going with Sheila E. and Kirk Frank, who's from your neck of the woods, by the way. Yeah, man. Right, right. Yep. And yep. Sheila, yeah. So he he and he became. You know, he was doing the whole thing up there, at Paisley Park, and all that. So he left Lucky's band to do that. And then I just came in, and then next thing you know, it was like, bam, all over the world playing with Bootsy Collins and Larry Graham and all God. these kinds of people like that. That's great, it, was, man. it was pretty incredible. That's yeah. great. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. we go from there to what, Buddy Miles? Is that next up on the list? <laughs> yeah. This is this is what I'm saying, everybody. Like yeah. Lance yeah. is just like you know, this is like a who's who, 
And, uh, you know, to think that you did this at this point in time, you're what, all of 18, 19 years old? I was, I was, yeah, eight, nine, I think 19. By the time I met Buddy, I was 19. Oh, man. Buddy Miles and I started playing together. I formed the first band with Buddy and Chuck Rainey when I was, yeah. I believe, yeah, I was 19, about to turn 20. Yeah, so. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Uh, I, you know, looking back on and it, when you say it, I don't even think about it because it was just, it was just so flying by the seat of the pants, especially, you know, working for other artists, especially artists of that stature and those kind of shows. I was just so fixated on learning the show and playing the best I could because, you know, like coming from that school with Johnny Taylor and James Brown and all those guys, I mean, if you blew a change, it was 50 bucks. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a $50 fine. There was no like, Oh man, just, just, you know, listen to it. And tomorrow night it'll be better. It was like, <laughs> dude, every blown change was cost 50 bucks. Oh man. So there was a kind of a, a, a thing where it was like, man, I, you know, so I didn't really have a, 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 a you know, a, a, a barometer of like what was really. It was just like don't mess up. <laughs> I right. was like don't blow the change. You know? Oh man. Well, so, so when so when you're with but when you're a buddy, right? Your buddy Miles. And for those of you that don't know or or just you know are, are, are wondering who Buddy Miles is, tell them who Buddy Miles is because this guy also <laughs> has a list a mile long of, uh, I mean Santana and of course Band of Gypsies and. I mean, yeah, just he's he's that guy. Right, right, you know, right, right. A tremendous right. solo artist in his own right. But I guess where I'm going with this, man, is is um, you were saying, you know, how important Hendrix was to you. Right. And all of a sudden you're playing with the guy that Hendrix wanted to, you know, be his drummer. It wasn't it wasn't Mitch. This was that hand pick. This was like the hey, this is my guy. Right. I want him. You know, what was that like right. as a 19, 20 year old guy just playing guitar, knowing who this man is? And, and he's he's driving the bus, man. He's he's playing the drums. How does that feel, man? It was it was. Yeah, it was surreal. It was very surreal. Um, I met Buddy Miles at the Belgium Rhythm and Blues Festival in Pierre, Belgium in 1997, July. And um, on that festival, also that the, it, probably about an hour before I met Buddy, let me just preface this: I met Peter Green, and <laughs> Peter Green standing there, and it was like I couldn't believe it was actually him. And it right. was that was kind of a sad meeting, as if, if you know, you know, the story of Peter Green later on. But you know, all in the same day, Peter Green, Ronnie Earl, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Bo Diddley. Uh, buddy, like all these guys, I mean, show up to Belgium's Blues Festival, and it was like, I can't believe this is happening. And so um, we instantly connected, Buddy. So we played our set. Buddy sat on the wings of the stage. He heard us playing, and he came, and he was in a wheelchair, you know, by right. that time. Yep. And so they wheeled him to the right, ten feet away from me, and put him, parked him on the wings of the stage. So I played the entire set, and Buddy watching me. And, you know, immediately when I came off the stage, he was there and he had both his, his arms out to give me a give me a big hug. And that's how I met him. I walked out and I saw Buddy and I went, oh, my God, Buddy Miles. He was like, come here, man. And so I gave him a big hug. And then it was like from that point until, you know, he passed away. We were I mean, you know, he considered me like his his son. You know, I mean, we were. We were super tight. Uh, we had a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of craziness that kind of went on along with it. Uh, but, um, you know, yeah, the pedigree, and we talked about it a lot, man. We sat, we wrote a lot of music together. We did a lot of jamming and playing and partying and everything else. And we talked about his pedigree. We talked about the fact that he played with Michael Bloomfield, with Carlos, with Carlos Santana, with Jimi Hendrix, with, you know, all these guys, Neil Sean, when Neil was, you know, 15 years old, joining right. Santana's band, you know, all these great guitar players. And, um, you know, and, and we talked a, a, a lot about Michael Bloomfield, you know, he educated, I knew who Mike was and I understood, but, but it was really buddy that sat me down and really made me dig into Mike Bloomfield's work. And it just opened this whole nother dimension of blues guitar playing and guitar playing and who actually Mike Bloomfield was and the influence he had and how powerful he was. 
Um, so, I mean, there was so much to it that it was, it was incredible. Uh, you know, playing with Buddy, riding with Buddy. We had a big house in Fort Worth, Texas. We lived together in, and he moved to Texas. So wow. to talk about the meeting, like we met, we hung out, we partied all that night in Belgium. And a month later, he moved to Dallas. You're a roommate. Unbelievable. And then we were in the house together, jamming, playing all night long, every day, all day. God, man. You know, I'll, I'll, but I'll throw this in here. So you had mentioned two names, and obviously Buddy is going to be one of them, but the other one is Larry Graham. Right. Now, <laughs> before I moved to Minneapolis, I was doing a short tour with Jeff Healy. Right. And the stop that we had in Minneapolis. I had an off night. I saw that Buddy was playing at the Caboose. I go and I catch a show, and I had met Buddy earlier Oh, gosh, maybe about a year or two earlier in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in the wheelchair, helping him out with, you know, when he was uh, in town for his gig, whatever. Great guy, wonderful guy. He totally remembered me when I was there uh, in, in Minneapolis. The funniest thing was this. I'm hanging out, watching the show, standing right next to me, and I had never met him before, but I knew exactly who he was. It was Larry Graham, and he is just decked out to the nines, man, just looking like a million bucks. And I'm like looking at him, just like just totally starstruck, just like oh, Amazing. oh man. And I was like, "Are, are you?" And he just kind of looks at me, he smiles. He goes, "Well, I'm not Prince." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, man, fast forward to the end of the night. That's awesome. We're closing this place down, and man, I'm sitting with Buddy Miles, man, and and uh, I'm sitting with Larry Graham. And I'm hearing these two just just rattle off story after story after story after story after story. And then they they kind of just, and they were so cool with me, but they were asking what I was doing out in Minneapolis, told them. And uh, I was like, man, I'm kind of thinking about moving out here. Both of them were just like, dude, you should. This is such a great music town. So the reason why I throw that in there is they're a huge reason why I was like, you know, that's amazing. If Buddy Miles and Larry Graham say that this is all right and it's a cool music town, I'm there, man. Hell there. yeah. Wow. So that's awesome, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's, dude. that's incredible. There's some parallels, man. That's so, incredible, man. Throughout this whole journey, dude, throughout this whole journey, because obviously, like, we're talking about you as a guitar player, but you're also, like, you're a killing singer, man. Oh, well, thank you, You man. are a killing singer. Thank Where did you man. learn that? How did you learn that? Bobby Blue Bland. There we go. It was working with Bobby, and Rod and I talk about it a lot. His son, drummer in Memphis, shout out to Rod Bland. Uh, we talk about it a lot. I got some gigs playing with Bobby Blue Bland in between Johnny Taylor tours. And we would kind of do review stuff at times where we would they would use one band, and they would do like a convention center, and we would be the band for four or five artists. So I, oh, wow. we'd back Bobby Blue Bland, Little Milton, Johnny Guitar Watson, Johnny Taylor, you know, those, all those guys on one gig. So that meant like it was stress city. Cause like, Oh my God. And I was a, a kid. I didn't know who any of these people were. Right. That was my introduction to these, these people, like wow. I, these artists I had, dude, I had no clue. Like, you know, and then I would stand on stage with them and I would go, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> I'm standing there with Johnny guitar Watson walking around, like from outer space or Bobby coming on stage and just hitting this, this note. That's just like, paralyzing the entire room it was just like so uh, during that time doing some gigs with him uh, you know in those review everybody had to be able to sing and sing backgrounds and sing harmonies and right and um, and I'll, I'll never forget I was on a bus somewhere between like Memphis and 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 Atlanta or somewhere and uh, Bobby came in there and he said I want you to sit down and listen to something and he had he brought out uh, Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace record, oh, wow. gospel, a gospel that I didn't even know existed, and it was a, the gospel album that that Aretha Franklin did. And he sat down, he made me listen to it, and he was like, "These, this is this is singing, you know, like this is, let's start here, you know." And then, then I understood that the instrumentation of the vocals, how it was like just like a guitar, you know. And um, and growing up with rock singers, I never really put that much you know um that much focus on it because it was i guess at that age it would always have been the guitar player right you know and not really focusing on what the lead singer was doing and yes the vocals were there but it was always 
so much focusing on guitar technique and you know that that and just primary focus was guitar and so uh it was at that point where you know and then you know and then stevie wonder you know um that was that became like the the, the whole lineage of and you know but the base being gospel music and it still is today for me i mean that's eric gales and i talk about it all the time absolutely about our favorite you know singers pastors that are past you know the reverends like james moore and and james cleveland and all the old preachers uh willie banks all those old preachers that yeah. we that's where we developed our our vocal you know is from is, or we're from uh black southern gospel that's amazing man. you know that that's really where it all comes from i mean that's for me you know now as far as songwriting goes you're also a songwriter you're you know you're also one of those guys what is it like singer songwriter guitar player producer that kind of thing so you know as far as as songwriting goes tell me about your influences there I mean, there was just, there was so much influence as far as writing is concerned. I mean, I just, it, it, I pull from everything. I mean, I pull from, I listen to a lot of world music. I listen to, to, uh, you know, all everything I could be listening to, you know, blind Willie McTell from 1928, one minute, and then listening to Ollie Farkaturi. There we go. You, you know, in West Africa, one minute, then I'm listening to Hank Garland in 1961 here in Nashville playing jazz. Then I'm listening to Metallica. Right. You know what I mean, right. So it's so like, you know, it's so personality disorder based. I, mean, I love it. It's, it's, it's like, awesome. I don't, it's all over the map, man, you know? So, but that's, I mean, I'm literally, I mean, that's just, it's like um, pulling from all those sources to create one thing, you know? And I know a lot of it comes out, it's, you know, at the core of it is the blues. You know, the core of it is, like I said, the blues, the gospel, the roots music, the early rock and roll, the rock, the rock music. But there, there is so many, uh, there's so many um, different aspects to, to pull from. I like to, to have all that influence, you know, um, from all different, all different genres of music. We kind of come from that same school, you know, we're, we're roughly the same age and, and, you know, listen to a lot of the same stuff. So, yeah, I guess with that said, I got two, it's a two-part question for you. What would you label Lance Lopez as, as far as like maybe a genre, if you wanted to get somewhat genre specific? I mean, I would just say I'm a blues-based rock musician. I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> right on. Okay. I mean, it's rock music. I mean, it's blue. it's blues um, you know, but it's not traditional blues. I mean, I'm a blues player, blues singer, whatever it is, but you know, it, it, it kind of translate out in as rock or whatever, you know, I don't know. Absolutely. That would be the easiest way to describe it. Right. Right. <laughs> but man, you, you get funky too, bro. Right. Yeah. I, I, I hear you, man. There's no way around it. There's no other way around that. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know. So schools that we come from, man, and I love that. You know, that's one of those things that I've always admired about your playing is the fact that you aren't afraid to to go out on a limb there. And you know, it, it, it's it's a soul thing. It's a feeling thing, man. And I really right. like that because yeah, you have that in droves. Right. So right. I was gonna say that just that, especially my early albums, that just came of that just was a direct, you know, uh, translation of where I had come from. Sure. Those were my. I mean, New Orleans. Uh, you know, growing up in the New Orleans funk scene around, you know, the meters and all those guys. Oh, yeah. And then playing with all the artists that I did, just it was a natural progression of me. I mean, that's what was porn. I mean, that's what I've been doing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, R&B and funk music, soul music. I mean, that is in my DNA. So, Absolutely. you know, it's just that's just how it just came out. Where do you see the blues today? What is the state of blues to you right now? Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's definitely progressed to a level of, uh, you know, uh, it is definitely transitioned into more of a popular type of, uh, music than it has, like, just say like traditional blues. I think, you know, with modern artists, um, crossing over like, like Joe Bonamassa or Kenny Wayne Shepherd, even John Mayer inflecting, you know, pop music with it. Right. Uh, I think that it has definitely, there's a, there's a definite natural print, uh, trans. Um, what am I trying to say? A, um, a, uh, like it's a progressed. Yeah. A progression. Yeah, it's progressed, and and so that's where you know I, I really think it's 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 very cool that uh, that blues music has definitely um, has gone that direction, and and you know it, it focused on songs, and I think and I feel like it, it kind of always 
always had that, but, um, you know, it, it definitely, um, I think that the songs are, are definitely progressed to a point where it's, it's really getting, it's continuing to get more and more creative, you know, um, guitar players are becoming more and more creative. Even if you can even get as eclectic as like black keys, you know, sure. or, or the blues being in the white stripes music sure. or, uh, you know, any, I hear, I hear it in all different realms of music. So, uh, and I can hear the influence of it. So, uh, the state of it today, I mean, um, you know, I think that it's, it's definitely a, um, uh, you know, there, there definitely has been a, a, a definitely natural progression and it's and it definitely has become more modern. And, and I want to say that it has taken somewhat more of a kind of a rock connotation as opposed and, and, and country as, as just like country music has, you know, being here in Nashville now, it's right. like country is now pop and dance music and it's rock music as well. So it just and I feel like that's just natural progression of of music and times and you know, creativity and, and, and presenting it in a totally different way. Well, do you think that with that said, that it takes away from the art form, the way that it, it uh, kind of originated, how it originated, um, you know, being that it is, you know, uh, 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 from the black culture and, and how it's kind of become more rock based, you know, like, do you think that uh, uh, that's an, issue or is it part of this progression how do you see that how do you feel about that there's a I, lot well, going on there obviously like no no, no no absolutely and I, I feel like that you know just like anything else that's why i've always kind of labeled myself as a blues rock artist not just a blues artist right right i feel like there's a huge difference and i feel like there's soul blues yes. i feel like there's traditional blues there's jump blues you know there's delta blues i mean you got all these different sub categories other than just blues you right. know and i've never just really fit into blues you know it's right. i'm a i'm a rock guy i mean i don't and i and i make no qualms about it i mean you know i've i've i grew up as a rock guitar player i played with you know and and have met and know most of my big rock heroes so it's it's the fact of um and then there's great traditionalists it was funny i was just with kim wilson a couple of weeks ago wow. and uh and i was we were talking about this and i just and i and i met all the the guys he had out with him as the new thunderbirds and and i just and i just stopped and took a minute to really reflect on how grateful i was to grow up like i said when we moved to texas to be thrust into that community to like not even knowing again like 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 being a side man with all the r&b people I just landed in these spots and went, oh, my God, like, here's all these great people. So I, I was able to be in the middle of traditional blues guys like Kim Wilson, Anson Funderburg, Jimmy Vaughn, you know, Dan Derek O'Brien, Denny Friedman, right. you know, all these guitar players and and watch them, you know, be the real traditionalists that they were and um, and and learn from that and, and not per se go, that's what I'm going to do. But again, like we talked about songwriting, I absorbed that and brought it into my world and into my thing. You know, just like when I would go see Metallica, I would watch what they did and take the power away from that or ACDC or King's X or yes. <laughs> any of these rock bands and go, let me incorporate that into my thing as much as I'm incorporating watching Jimmy Vaughn, you know, play at Antones. So, right. you, you know, it was it was. Uh, so all of that combined, um, it just kind of came out the way it did with me. And so, um, I, but I think that, I think it's fair to say that there's many, there's many different subcultures. I mean, uh, 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 genres, uh, and like, um, uh, pop country, you sure. know, you, you have, and I'm hearing the phrase around here now, hard country, you know, which is like, you know, the big rock and stuff. And, and so I think all these different, uh, sub genres need to be, recognized i guess is as as i feel like if you put you know um blues in, in a way you have a blues rock artist and you have somebody that wants to hear you know bb king or or something like that and they put on a rock album they're going to kind of be shocked and go well that's not blues right so i think it should be very much be very specific like just like if i want to hear a traditional country i want to hear like buck owens and i put on taylor swift <laughs> I'm gonna right, go, right, right. I'm going to go. That's not that's not country. So I, I feel like that they're just that's where the blinders need to come off. And I need to go. What exactly am I? What am I buying? What am I listening to? What am I 
you know, um, you know, if somebody, if I want a Coke and somebody gives me a diet Coke, I'm going to go, wait a minute, that's not a Coke. Right. I need right. to say, Hey, I need a regular Coke. <laughs> I'm know? also of that ilk though. Like hearing, hearing you say that. And I, I love that you say that. And again, I, I see so many parallels with, with you and myself because we are a part of that particular genre. I also say to people, you know, when, when they ask me, well, what, what kind of music do you play or what kind of artists are you? And I, I just say that my music is blues influenced, rock, right. funk, you know, what have you. Now we're going to go here, man, because we, you know, we, we've touched on a lot of your career and there's even more of it to, to you know, touch up on. Yeah. But you are in Nashville right now. Right. What brought you to Nashville? What man? Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's you the know, easiest way I can go into this. Yeah, oh, that's great, man. Uh, no, you should. I mean, I dude, I tell you what, I've got no man. I've I've really got no problem talking about my history and my life because, especially if it, it, somebody may hear it and may help somebody. Um, Nashville had been on my radar for quite some time, um, even back to the days when I was in Supersonic Blues Machine. Um, I, there was a possibility of me, me, me to move to LA, which at times West Hollywood and that scene had been <laughs> real, real, real dicey for me. So that had a lot of people very, very nervous. Uh, however, I was in that band and it was really calling for me to be in, in LA more. And I was always traveling back and forth and, and, uh, and I was on a flight with supersonic blues machine going to Europe. And I was standing up on the plane with Robin Ford. Uh, and Robin was the one that in front of Kenny Aronoff and Fabrizio Grassi, Robin Ford goes, he goes, dude, you need to go to Nashville. He goes like, I don't care what these guys say. <laughs> they were sitting two feet away from Robin, you know, and Robin's like, I don't care what any of these dudes right here. And they're just sitting over there like, Whoa, what the, you know, and, and I went right then and there, I went, why would I not listen to Robin Ford? He was so passionate about that I needed to be in Nashville, Tennessee. And I thought, how am I going to argue with Robin Ford right now? Yeah. You know? So that was probably, I would say, a year prior to me coming here, maybe a year and a half. Um, you know, I had been doing really good. I'd struggled with addiction off and on, you know, my entire life. You know, being a kid, growing up around all those guys, you know, Playing in uh, all with all those artists, man, I wanted to hang, man. I wanted to hang. I wanted to be able to hang. You know, if I was in a green room and Rick James handed me a pipe, I hit it. You know, it's Rick James. It's Rick James. I'm right. standing. I'm standing with Rick James. I'm not going to be like, no, man. I'm good, bro. You know. And it was like I was hanging. I was hanging with the cats, man, and they were like getting high. And I was a kid and I wanted to be those dudes, man. I wanted to sound like those dudes. I want, I was hanging with them. I was playing with them and I wanted to do everything I could to ensure that I, I was an artist like they were. And if that meant hanging with them on the bus in the back or at the hotel room or wherever we were doing whatever they were doing, I was front and center, like heck yeah. And then, you know, and then I would find myself at home as with a problem. Then it's like off the road. Now I'm at my house going, oh man, you know, I got a problem, you know? And, uh, and that's what was, that's when it was scary. And so, uh, I struggled with, and there was a time in my life where it did work for me. You know, there was a time in my life where the, the schedules were so rigorous and there was no sleep and there was all that. And I could, I could use a substance and then I would be like right back to normal and boom, let's, let's go. It was like almost like Starbucks, you know? Right. And, and then that, that betrayed me. You know, that turned around and just betrayed me and took, you know, just took everything and hurt people and did all this stuff. So, man, I uh, I've been doing real good for a while. And, man, I got I got some chronic back issues. I'm still dealing with and still working out with doctors right now, currently in Nashville, as a matter of fact. And uh, but we were on tour a, a couple of years ago, man. I had, you know, a few years of sobriety and uh guy goes, I was laying on a bag of ice backstage and a guy goes, man, I got a couple pain pills. I took those pills over, it's completely okay. over, you know, and I, you know, I, and I, my, I work with my doctors real close here now and they, you know, and they go, yeah, you didn't, you didn't talk to a doctor. You didn't check with anybody to see if that was okay. You just took drugs backstage. That somebody gave you again, like that's not in a, as a person in sobriety, it's not a good decision. 
And it just, it, and once I ingested the substance, man, you know, I've got the disease of addiction. I've got the disease of alcoholism. I have to do what I have to do on a daily basis to maintain that, that problem, that illness, you know, and if, if and I ingest, if I ingest anything that, that can exacerbate that illness, it's off to the races, man. And that's what happened. You know, that's what happened to me. So luckily, thank God, um, you know, I survived uh, this last go around and I, and I wound up back here uh, getting treatment and basically just a complete reset of, of just everything that was going on in my life, um, you know, and had to really focus on my wellness and my, my sobriety. And when I got here, I said, you know what, what I've always done in the past was I'd always come in. And I would, I would get, I would go to rehab or wherever. And then I would go right back in a, in a, in a bar, you know, two weeks later, you know, and I'm standing there and guys are still coming up trying to hand me stuff. And there's the bar right here on the side. And I'm looking at the bottles and people are trying to bring me stuff at the gig. And I said, man, we're not doing that. And so I took a page from uh, Clapton's book and, you know, he, before he opened Crossroads, which is where I was supposed to go twice, by the way, and I was too sick to make the plane flight. Wow. You know, they had, that's why they had to bring me here to, to Nashville. I had two opportunities. They had a plane ready for me to go in LAX at one point, and I didn't go, but I was supposed to go to Crossroads. And then by the time I'd gotten so bad, they go, you'll never make a flight to the Caribbean. So, oh my God. So that's... they brought me, they brought me here. Uh, thank God they did. Um, but I, 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 you know, before Clapton opened Crossroads, he, he went to work at King's Hospital where he and Keith Richards and Stevie Ray and all of them went. And he worked there and got his license, uh, licensed chemical dependence counselor license. And he took his paycheck and he donated it back into the back into the treatments. A lot of people don't know that. Wow. But, but that's what he did before he opened the center. He worked for free helping addicts because it, 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 it basically solidified and cemented him into rehab, into recovery, working right. at the rehab. So that's what I did here in Nashville. I, I completely, I took a, a, a lot of time off. Um, you know, John Hyatt was instrumental in helping me, oh, you know, man. Clapton instrumental in helping me, these guys. And, and I went to work in a rehab and that's what I did. And I helped, I got to help kids and other addicts and, and people, you know, that were getting out of rehab and, and I was there for them. And, found myself in that situation just like man now I'm, I'm i'm able to give back and get out of myself and out of my own way and help other people you that's know great, man. and that's what cemented it you know and just knock on wood you know this a day at a time man and that's Indeed. all the community here in nashville has embraced me the recovery community you know I, I i have i'm still helping a lot of recovering addicts and alcoholics i mean it's still a huge it's the it's the number one part of my life that's amazing. Like helping other drug addicts and alcohol, and then everything else falls underneath that music and everything. Yeah, that's amazing. But that's right. the number one thing in my life today. I'll tell you this right now, man. What was it? Two years ago, a little over two years ago at this point, I'm at NAM. I'm at NAM, and there's three instances that just shook me, man, just hit me hard. And it was about you. And these are things that I wanted you to know. First encounter I had was with Eric and LaDonna, Eric Gales and, and his lovely wife, LaDonna. And they were telling me about what was all going on. We kind of heard the story at the same time, everything else, man. And we were just the, to see the, the look of concern and love in, in, you know, both Eric and LaDonna's eyes was just, it, it told me everything, man. And it was so heavy, so powerful. Day later, I'm hanging out with Walter Trout. And Walter was also on that that you just knew it was just kind of eating at him a little bit. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but that concern and that love was there. The one that got me the most, oddly enough, because you saw the love and you saw the support and you saw all that. I was on an escalator with our buddy, Kenny Lee Lewis of uh, the Steve Miller band. And Kenny and I, we, we've known each other for, for a while now, man. And, and we were talking about you. He's like, man, I guess you heard about LL, man. And, and, but this, like, it made everything, for whatever reason, it just made everything real. But it, at that point in time, on that little escalator ride, for the three days that we were there in, in that convention center, my bro, this love 
this concern, this support, this this feeling of 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 man, we got to get you back, my bro. We got to get you like healthy and good, and, and and we're all pulling for you. It was so real. So to remember these really intense and hard and rough feelings, and seeing you here today, dude. I am so happy that you're doing all right, my guy. And I'm so damn proud of you for what you're doing. And, uh, man, I'm just I'm, I'm grateful that you're alive and that you're here and you're doing your thing, bro. Thank you, Ken. That means, that means a lot, man. I mean, it does. And I just I'm so grateful that, you know, I, yet again, I've been given one more. Sh- and that's why I just I, I, I just said, everybody, just wait, just stop. <laughs> I need to go over here and I need to, I need to get well. And then I need to go, I need to do whatever we need to do to, to, to ensure that I'm going to stay well. And that meant helping other people, which, and it still does today. And it still does today. So that, that love is reciprocated, man. That energy was being reciprocated to me. So, and I was reciprocating that to other people. I was at that point in time, helping others. That's so great, man. That's so good. And I mean, how, how many, how long has it been for you now? What, two so, years? Almost four years. Four years now. Almost. November will be four years. That's fantastic, man. Yeah, man. That's yeah, fantastic. A day at a time. A day at a time. Yeah. A I've been doing time. this now for seven. I'll be, it'll be seven for me in August. That's so, awesome. yeah, That's man. Awesome. So I hear you, brother. I hear you and I That's feel awesome. you, man. Let's go yeah. back into this real quick because we only got a little bit more time left with you, man. So you okay. were talking about the supersonic blues machine. Right. <laughs> right. Again, just this is a star studded cast of characters. And man, are they characters? You know, we got Steve Lukather, we got Billy Gibbons, we got uh, Robin Ford, we got Kenny Aronoff. What was that all like, man? Well, it was uh, <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was quite a uh, quite an array of people all, all you know all together in one. It just kind of word by you know it was like mm-hmm. wow I can't believe we got this guy oh now this guy well this guy well this guy that guy you know and they were all the, the heroes you know right um, man well you and you and Billy are that's your guy yeah and so you know it was it was great to finally because we had talked about working together since the 90s you know since i was a a kid you know gibbons i mean i've known billy since i was 16 billy was a mentor to me and so you know uh it was finally an opportunity you know and i'd been out and as you have you know and worked in open shows for gibbons you know and 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 and, you know every time i would go out with zz top it was always backstage, you know, the hangs and, mm-hmm. and it was always like, and, and Billy, and he still to this day talks about producing a record on me, Billy, whenever we're, you're ready, let's do it. Yeah, man. Right. <laughs> but he's, you know, he was, he was going to that. So we always talked about that. And then finally we, we were able to work. So it was like 25 years in the making. Wow. <laughs> wow. So that was what was cool about that. It was like, here we are now today. And we used to joke about it. Like, well, finally. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but to play with cats like Kenny Aronoff and, and Lukather, I'd also known for a very long time. And, and uh, a lot of these guys I had known, you know, Robin was somebody who I'd first worked with in the project, which was incredible. And, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know where it is. We have it somewhere, but I have got a recording of us in Houston with Robin Ford playing on War Pigs. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, call- dude. Yeah. <laughs> and we call it Jazz Sabbath. <laughs> He's like yes. He's playing like John Coltrane over Black Sabbath. That's it's awesome. Like, it's the craziest stuff. But, man, it was just it was it, it went by really quickly, um, you know, and uh, unfortunately, Fabrizio Grassi and I kind of got a little sideways. Kind of. We didn't kind of. We did. And, uh, you know, and that kind of ended my tenure with the project. You know, yeah. we're, we're good today, but, you know, some things kind of went down as they, you know, sometimes do in bands. And, and I wish all those guys all the best, cool. uh, you know, and, and it's all good today. And I think they're still trying to do some stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, man, I, I was I was glad to be a part of those first two records and 
get that project off the ground and 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 be there and, and play with all my guys and all my heroes and that's um, awesome you know there was a couple of guys that you know on that second go round that we tried to get in that wanted to do it and that was jimmy page you know <laughs> J- jimmy page wanted oh to be involved God. uh jeff beck was going to be involved oh man Bri- brian may oh. um, you know we had you know we had some guys that were that, that were wanting to do it and lined up to do it. And it was a very interesting situation. Uh, and then that just, you know, and then, then, then Fabrizio and I kind of crashed and burned. So, you know, um, but man, I, Hey, I wish him and Kenny all the best and I hope they continue to keep moving forward with it and, and it, and it all works out for them. But yeah, that, the first two records, man, I, I was real happy that I, I'm really proud of that work that we did. Yeah, man, they were smoking. And now you're with, you're with uh, two wolf. Right. What is Two Wolf? Tell me about Two Wolf. So what's interesting about that is I was I was the original guy in Two Wolf, <laughs> and then and then I left to go super. The first record of Supersonic Blue Machine came out, and I couldn't. I didn't have enough time to really uh, uh, divide between the two because once the first record with with Supersonic Blues Machine came off, things began to rapidly happen, and uh, and I couldn't devote you know enough time to Two Wolf. So. Um, Two Wolf came about uh, about eight years ago, I guess, um, shortly after the passing of Johnny Winter. Right. Um, you know, we hadn't really talked about Johnny, but, you know, Johnny and I were yeah. very close, and he was yes. another another mentor of mine, you know, uh, another close dear friend. And uh, so his drummer that had also worked with, you may know him, Tommy yep. Curiali. You Absolutely. know Tommy. So Tommy Curiali, that was with Rick Derringer for many years, um, uh, we toured together with Johnny Winter. And so I'd known Tommy. I, Tommy and I had gone back 20 years when he was all his years with Derringer. And so um, he he joined Johnny Winter's band, and I was we were on tour together a lot. And then Johnny passed. And so we were all kind of reeling from that. So about six months after Johnny passed, um, everybody was, I guess, really still trying to figure out what to do. And Tommy reached out to me. Uh, it was Tommy Curioli that reached out to me and said, hey, uh, Greg T. Walker uh, of Blackfoot is forming a new band. Um, you know, they can't call it Blackfoot because there's there's legal issues between him and Ricky Medlock. Sure. And they're they're uh, and this is what they're doing. And so uh, will you will you come to Florida and and play with us and and i man i grew up on blackfoot i mean absolutely those, man i mean ricky medlock and 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 you know those guys were i mean those you know i was a huge huge fan i mean growing up in louisiana and texas i mean train train was in the 80s was huge you know right and i remember and i also remember what's interesting is i remember reading when and justice for all kind of in between master of puppets and and justice for all came out in metallica i remember reading specifically with and justice for all interviews with James Hetfield in like Rip Magazine or Metal Edge or one of those <laughs> and, him, and him citing Blackfoot and Motorhead as Metallica's two biggest influences at that time and as a oh. kid and I remember hearing Highway Song as a kid it was either Highway Song or, or Train Train and I remember going that doesn't make any sense to me I mean Train Train yeah because the E chord you know palm muted kind of chunky thing right but as I've joined Two Wolf and really dug into the Blackfoot catalog, I went, oh, my gosh. It makes sense. Like, I go, that's there's all your early Metallica right there, you know? Yeah. And so and so, what? how cool it is. So, anyway, I joined Two Wolf then. Supersonic took off. I had to leave. So, a, a cat from, uh, from here, actually from Nashville, replaced me in the band. His name's Chris Bell. He was out. He was Bo Bice's guitar player after Bo Bice sure. uh, won American Idol, and he was kind of in that Carrie Underwood era of American Idol. And uh, Chris was his lead guitar player, so he uh, he replaced me in the band. And they went through many different personnel changes over the years. So after uh, I got back to I got to Nashville, um, my good friend, uh, the lead singer of Molly Hatchet. Uh, Phil McCormick passed away and um, so I was living here working at the rehab over in West Nashville I was working at the Nashville Recovery Center in West Nashville um, as a tech you know and um, I I was in between shifts or something and somebody sent me a message and said Bill died and I knew that 
you know, Phil had died from his addiction and, and everything. And so, um, I, that reconnected me with Greg T Walker because, you know, being of the Jacksonville, Gainesville, North Florida, Southern rock community of Leonard Skinner, Molly Hatchet, Blackfoot, right. you know, I, it reconnected me with, with Greg T Walker. And I called Greg and I said, you know, I heard about Phil and, and Dave Lubeck of Molly Hatchet had passed away not long before that, but I had just recently been with Phil, uh, before, you know, I kind of crashed and burned. So, um, you know, that reconnected us. And then at the end of the conversation, Greg was like, man, I wish you would please come back to two wolf. And I said, man, you got, I'm here in Nashville now getting my life back together. I would love to. So here we are today. So I, I, I rejoined the band and, and, and all Greg ever wanted was, was Chris and I together in the band, uh, you know, the guy that replaced me. So now that's, that's what he has, you know? So it's, it's, it's really, really cool. We got a great drummer, uh, from North Florida playing with his rusty Valentine, um, that was actually playing with the original guitar, other guitar player in Blackfoot, Charlie Hargrit. Wow. Rusty was his drummer. Um, uh, so, uh, and he's a, you know, local drummer up there plays a lot of, you know, Southern rock tribute bands and stuff. So sure. he's, he's, he's playing drums in the band and, uh, we just came off the rock legends cruise, uh, enormous response to the band the band is a powerhouse there it sounds it's just like big it's like southern early metallica (laughs) that's what it sounds like i gotta check it out for sure it's heavy man it's heavy it's heavy so it's really cool so before we go man these are the questions that i normally like to throw out to everybody okay so here it is got top three right top three guitar players today <laughs> today like? well i mean i'm saying today just because you know i'm sure that you and i are uh, you know fairly similar where it's like well i like so and so and so and so and so and so but i really like so and so but today i'm feeling you know yeah um who are your top three uh off the top of my head would have to be um you know it would it would have to be uh, you know the usual the standard man jimmy hendrix clapton jimmy page i mean cool. I, you know I just, I've got to go. It's just in my DNA. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> All right. Top three Desert Island records. Uh, Band of Gypsies. Oh, right on. Um, Israeli Gears. Um, and Physical Graffiti. The same guys I just mentioned. There we go, right? <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, what's one song you wish you wrote? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh you know, I don't know. Uh, God, something George Harrison. There we go. <laughs> something George. Harrison. All right, there we are. What's next for you, bro? Man, um, you know we're we're you know continuing with two. I'm working on a new album right now. We're recording the record. It's it's coming out real real great. Um, so I'm just really focused on that. I'm doing some regional dates uh, before touring opens back up. Hopefully sure. it's gonna. You know, we'll be back at it again like like normal, um, you know, um, if the world doesn't end. <laughs> <And so. laughs> Let's tell those guys overseas one day at a time, man. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Let's get it right. Let's get, everybody's just missed a few hugs, I guess. Yeah, something. Oh, my yeah. God. So, um, and then, yeah, we're just working on the new record, and then we're shifting in gears, and we're going to be doing a lot more with Two Wolf, too. So awesome. really just finishing my album and then focusing on Two Wolf, man. You know? Brother, man, that's fantastic. I'm so happy to see you, dude. I'm so happy to you talk to you. Yeah, yeah. and hopefully uh, sometime soon you and I get to make some noise again. You know, I hope so, man. Yeah. Been Likewise. too long, brother. Likewise. Everybody, this is my friend Lance Lopez. You can catch him where, Lance? Where Where do they find you online? Man, you can find me at uh, Facebook, Lance Lopez Band. I'm on Instagram at uh, uh, Lance Lopez Guitarist. So just hit me up on the, on, the, on the IGs and the socials, man. That's where we're at today. Yeah, there you go, man. Well, right on, my guy. Everybody go check out Lance's music. Go check out Two Wolf. Go check out anything this guy has been a part of because it's smoking. I'm telling you that right now. And especially if you're a guitar player, you're going to love this. You're going to love what Lance does, man. And he's a good dude. I'm so happy to see him. Well, there you have it. I want to thank my special guest this week, Mr. Lance Lopez. Man, it was great chatting with him, great seeing him, great catching up. I urge you all to go check out his music and follow him on his socials. 
With that said, I'd also love for you to check out my music and check out my socials as well. Easiest way to do that is going to KenValdez.com. There are plenty of links there to uh, get you to where you need to be going. And if you just don't have time for that, Facebook.com slash KenValdezMusic and uh, Instagram at KenValdezMusic. To keep the wheels on this bus moving, I also accept donations via Venmo at KenValdez. Thank you guys very much for listening. I can't wait to bring you the next episode. And this has been the Ken Valdez Approach. Be good to each other. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.